So much South Dakota, so little time. From SDPB Radio, today is Monday, February 12th. This is In the Moment. Coming up this hour, the State Tourism Department calls in Super Bowl fans for the memories and photographs they'll find in the Rushmore State. We'll talk about the pros and cons of Super Bowl ads. We get to know the next generation of cattle ranchers. Then wealth is good for you only if you spend the money when you need it. We'll talk with financial therapist Rick Kaler about how to take care of ourselves with our financial success. Plus, the bearded ranger steps out of the wild and up to the mic. We'll meet a Badlands National Park ambassador who has made a big splash online. That's coming later in the hour. We're broadcasting live today from SDPB's Kirby Family Studio in Sioux Falls. I'm Lori Walsh. You're in the moment. News is first. You're listening to In the Moment on South Dakota Public Broadcasting. I'm Lori Walsh. Well, last Friday, the South Dakota Supreme Court officially ruled on what constitutes a conflict of interest for state lawmakers. Governor Christy Nome had asked for clarification on the issue before filling the legislative seats that are currently open. SDPB's Lee Strubinger joins us now from our Black Hill Surgical Hospital studio that's inside our Rapid City spaces with an update. Lee, welcome back. Thanks for being here. Hey, Lori. Good to be here. Help us understand some of the background that is visible in that decision that the Supreme Court justices laid out for the advisory opinion. Yeah, so again, Article 3, Section 12 was something that was in the state constitution uh, right around statehood when we adopted the state constitution. And it's been the subject of several different uh, court cases over the years, as you might imagine. Again, this provision essentially says that no lawmaker, while they're in office or one year after, uh, can can kind of authorize or, or be an interested party or have a direct or indirect benefit in a contract with the state. And so that has kind of come up. It, it was kind of worded in a way that, um, you know, as 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 people, as specific examples sort of arise, the, the kind of need for clarification has been there. Um, some of the cases that were surrounding this uh, particular um, uh, uh, issue uh, that the Supreme Court on Friday sort of overruled are two in particular. One is a 1986 decision called Asphalt Surfacing. And then a subsequent decision from that, which was called Pitts. And uh, those, uh, the asphalt surfacing ruling essentially said uh, the kind of the crux of the issue that we're looking at now, which is does voting for the state's general appropriations bill, the bill that funds the, the entire swath of state government, does that constitute authorizing a specific contract. Mm. And what lawyers for the legislature were arguing was that the money gets appropriated to these departments and the departments within state government are the ones that might go forward and um, put out a, a, a request for proposal or a bid. And, you know, that, so there, there, it's kind of a, a indirect, if you will, but it, they're saying it doesn't directly authorize a specific contract. That's what departments end up doing. Yeah. All right. So the opinion was released late Friday afternoon. Since then, what are leaders saying about the advisory opinion? Yeah, the old coveted Friday afternoon uh, <laughs> news announcement, right? Yeah. Um, 
So I, I ended up uh, speaking with uh, Will Mortensen, who is the who's a Republican representative. He is the majority leader for the House, which has had a vacancy um, this entire session thus yeah. far. It's, it, it's been filled. We can talk about that later. But um, I spoke with uh, Will Mortensen over the weekend, and he said uh, that this is a helpful, clarif- helpful clarification for the legislature. Take a listen. It's given that uh, we have a citizen legislature where we're in session for two months and then in our communities working and living and serving on charitable boards for the other 10 months, uh, this is a helpful clarification. It makes clear that you can continue to, for example, serve on the nonprofit board for a healthcare provider in town or um, a variety of other uh, things that cause us worry from uh, state park passes to driver's licenses uh, and everything in between. All right, Lisa. What, what he's go ahead. No, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say real quick. Kind of what he was getting at was what I was saying at earlier, specifically when it comes to like serving on a nonprofit board for a health healthcare system, right? Mm-hmm. There was concern that, you know, if a healthcare system receives some state money, but that lawmaker is on that board, that that would be kind of a an indirect benefit, which is kind of the language that's in the state constitution there. So this further clarifies it and sort of says, no, that is not the case in this uh, with the constitution. Right. Um, but state employees are still prohibited from serving in the legislature and lawmakers are still prohibited from receiving special appropriations through like a special uh, separate bill. Uh, and so that th- those kind of issues are, are still, or those kind of frameworks or, or guardrails are still in place. in place. All right. So what is next for the state legislature and those vacancies? Yeah. So uh, over the weekend, Governor Kristi Noem filled the House seat uh, for District 32, um, which has been vacant. Um, the governor uh, appointed former State House lawmaker Kristen Consent to represent uh, that district, which covers downtown Rapid City. Uh, Consent, you know, is very familiar with the legislative process. Was actually term limited in 2018, so um, she spent eight years in the state legislature. And so, while she might not be up on some of the you know pressing issues of the immediate day, she knows how it works. And um, and and so, I think a lot of people, um, the Republican caucus there, is is excited to see her join. All right. In other news, and, and yeah, go ahead. Well, as for as for District 35, that that um, seat still remains vacant for the state senate. All right. Other news, uh, more Supreme Court happenings this week. What can you tell us about that? Yeah. So on Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, uh, former Attorney General Jason Roundsburg has a disciplinary hearing before the state Supreme Court. Um, recall, if you will, the uh, South Dakota bar um, has has held a kind of disciplinary hearing proceedings um, uh, with the attorney general uh, following his uh, impeachment and removal from office in 2022. They're recommending that his law license be kind of temporarily suspended for 26 months and that that would be retroactive back to the day when he was impeached and removed or removed from office. Mm-hmm. Um, so if that's the case, he would be able to practice law in August if that's what the Supreme Court goes with. All right, and uh, if you have lost track of the story, you're going to have an opportunity to catch up on it from the beginning. Tell us about the upcoming podcast you've been working on. Yeah, I've been working on a, a, a podcast. Uh, regular listeners have probably heard uh, some promos on it, but mm-hmm. um, it's kind of about 
the crash and, and subsequent events that led to the impeachment and removal of the uh, Attorney General Jason Roundsburg. It was the first time the state had ever gone through uh, such a proceeding. All right. That podcast will be available next week. We'll tell you more about it between now and then. Lee Strubinger heading to Pierre. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks, Lori. This is the story of a state. So much to explore, so much space. You bring home memories and photographs. You'll absolutely love it. And you will smile. What can you do in a year? What you just heard is a little bit from the song, The Story of a State, from Travel South Dakota's Super Bowl ad. The 30-second version aired ahead of kickoff. A longer version is available online, and that ad is getting some mixed reviews from our very small, very unscientific study. Some people found it clever and catchy. Others have told us it's pretty confusing. So today we will talk about the pros and cons of a Super Bowl ad buy. Not just for the state of South Dakota. What did we learn yesterday about the state of Super Bowl commercials? Lori Costello is an assistant professor who teaches marketing, communications, and advertising at the University of South Dakota. She is with us now from SDPB Studios on the University of South Dakota campus in Vermilion. Lori Costello, welcome. Thanks so much for being here. Hi, Lori. Thank you for having me today. So broadly speaking, uh, the pros and cons of a Super Bowl ad buy in general, how do you approach that? Well, this is a a topic that comes up in many um, communications classes. Mm -hmm. And I will say this about it. Like, it it really is, people are divided on it. Um, But the Super Bowl is one of those activities that people actually tune in to watch the commercials, right? Mm-hmm. They're there. Many people are there. They don't even care about the game. It's about the commercials. And I can't, and the, and the ads, and I can't think of another, like, event where people do that annually every year. <laughs> and, you know, like, most people yeah. just like, oh, it's a commercial. I'm going to switch the station or, or, or change to another channel. But people watch the ads. So I think it's effective from the perspective of you have an engaged audience that's actually paying attention and that's something you don't often get considering where advertising has gone you know with social media and and well and social media is an interesting aspect too because companies are now releasing their ads prior to the Super Bowl which then gets people excited and talking about it and then people like me and you and our <laughs> listeners analyze the ads after mm-hmm. and talk about it at work and around the water cooler and in classes and I mean um, it's a cultural phenomenon Super Bowl ads are a cultural cultural phenomenon yeah so how is the media you mentioned social media and um, there was a f- several ads where there was a tease or some kind of payoff uh, for example, the South Dakota ad, they didn't tease it during the ad, but if you go online to the South Dakota Tourism Department, they had a Spotify playlist of one-hit wonders that they thought was fun. They had other things that you could do. A lot of other ads were like, go online for the full trailer. There's a State Farm Agents, a State Farm movie, for example. What are you seeing shifting in this idea of, like, it's not just that 30 seconds. It's not just that 60 seconds. Does everyone have to have more than the Super Bowl ad now? Absolutely. People want to be engaged. That's what social media has brought us to, right? It's not just watching an ad. It's engaging with the ad. It's engaging with the brand. Um, And the most successful advertising is going to do that. It's going to expand beyond the Super Bowl. Um, 
you know, many of these these ads are, you know, full-on campaigns that stretch, you know, a week or two prior to the Super Bowl to a week or two after. So you're looking at a month-long campaign yeah. around just one ad. Yeah, you'll see a lot of them again at the Oscars. The Oscars have kind of turned yes. into a, you know, we've got one more big chance to get it in front of people's eyes if it fits, if the ad happens to fit the audience for the Oscars. And then sometimes you'll see some some new ones there too. Well, and you were talking about the South Dakota ad. Yeah. Personally, I thought it was cool. Yeah. You know, I thought it was really neat to see our state being represented in, in that audience space. So I want to um, ask you this about, the, about that ad in general. What we heard, again, from a very small group of people, of just the people who are around us, which is not scientific at all, that maybe if you, were, if you got it, if you understood that they're playing, like if you knew who that band was or you'd heard that song before and you kind of got the concept of one hit wonder, it was fun and catchy and delightful. But the people who were confused were the ones who were like, who is that band? Like they're not a South Dakota band. What, why, did, why did we do this at all? So does it, if you have to explain it to your parents, is it still a good ad? <laughs> <laughs> well, and that goes back to the, is, is, is there any such thing as bad publicity? Okay. Right. Like, and sometimes we're talking about things and would we be talking about a, an ad if, you know, people like it or they don't like it, it resonates or it doesn't resonate. But if you look at the pic greater picture, people are talking about it. Yeah. They're having a dialogue about it. They're engaging with it, whether it's negative or positive. Yeah. So, um, and I would say this, if maybe the, pe the people that I haven't heard any complaints about it, yeah. um, but I would say those that are complaining about it, maybe they weren't the target audience. Yeah, maybe that one's not for you. And if you haven't <laughs> seen it yet, the band is Nine Days. They had a hit song called Absolutely the Story of a Girl. They changed the lyrics. In the ad, they're kind of in the same set, wearing the same costumes as when they first came out with the song. But then it's interwoven with all mm -hmm. these really great images, many of which are very familiar images if you live here to the great things in South Dakota. But they're getting beyond the Mount Rushmore, Badlands, uh, Falls of the Big Sioux River, kind of the high points that we normally hit, the cliches that you normally see. And so I think that's what the tourism department, if you haven't seen it visually, is really trying to do to take you to some of those places that um, you know maybe you're not usually thinking of when you think of South Dakota. I, I thought it was, I mean, the song is still in my head. I yeah, will tell you too. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, now I'm walking around all day singing it and we're still talking about it. So that um, means it yeah. worked, right? Like that's, that's the sign that it worked. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and, and advertising is subjective. Not everybody is going to like every single ad. Right. So it's hard to say whether something was effective or not because it's going to be effective to certain people. And then, you know, during the Super Bowl, like, you've got a lot of people paying attention to the ads, but there's a lot of distractions too. Mm -hmm. So there's just a lot of things going on during that space that, to, that plays into the idea of, is it effective or not right. effective? Yeah, if you were snacking, if you were visiting, if you were on right. your phone betting, or you know, following <laughs> Twitter, like the yep. fact that we're talking about it now is, like, to your point earlier, has recreated a pathway for people to go back to the ads. Are there others that you found that you thought personally were particularly effective? Well, I, I'm gonna the, the one. There's one I remembered, and I remember it because I really didn't like it. Yeah. And so I'm sorry to Reese's in advance, but <laughs> it was a, an ad for they're adding caramel 
to the Reese's peanut butter cup. So I was like, mmm, delish, you know, that sounds great. But the ad was like this slapsticky people throwing their heads in walls kind of thing. Yeah. And it just did not personally appeal to me. Yeah. But I can tell you what the ad was and what's coming. So then it was effective. Whether I like the ad or not, right. I can tell you they're adding caramel to the Reese's peanut butter cup. <laughs> and they're doing it millions of times, and it's not forever. <laughs> it's okay. Right, All right. these things they told us in the ad that I, too, remember. The New York Times, you're not alone. The New York Times reviewer rated that as the bottom you shouldn't have done it. You embarrassed yourself. Why did you try? <laughs> kind of right. category. They put it near the bottom. The top of their list was the BMW ad with Christopher Walken, famous actor. Lots of people yep. mimic his accent in real life. And he was encountering people who were talking like him, kind of giving this idea that his life is surrounded by people who do impersonations of him the second they see him. Did you like that one? Was that Yes, I did. And that's just because I like Christopher Walken. He's yeah. awesome. Yeah. But you'll also you saw a lot of celebrities kind of making fun of themselves right because in addition to the christopher walken ad you know you had the one with arnold schwarzenegger for state farm and he's you know they're making fun of him because um he keeps saying neighbor instead right. of neighbor and i think that kind of humor resonates with people because it's just fun and lighthearted, and it's not you know he's not taking himself too seriously yeah. and um, that so, was another one that I thought was, was that was good. Yeah, I like the mm -hmm. Duncan ads with uh, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, Oscar mm -hmm. winners. Um, you know, Jennifer Lopez is married to Ben Affleck, just kind of doing a, a you know, sort of, again, a, a New England Duncan, Tom Brady shows up. They're, I don't know, I don't know how to explain it. Just they're being a cliche rock or rappers, kind of yep. you know, cringy. And uh, the wife is saying, yeah husband you can go home now take your take your friends with you <laughs> it, and it was that funny. Ad, it was i think funny. was it was expensive and i'm sure it was expensive that was a pricey one yeah oh my goodness because with when you have multiple celebrities and ads i mean the price just goes up and up <laughs> and up if you think about giving let's just say that each one of those celebrities received a million dollars for their appearance yeah. you're at five six million and you're not you haven't even paid for your space yet right. or any of the production yeah, and I'm not sure Duncan needed the boost, but okay. <laughs> well, if you're from New England and you, you you get yourself some Duncan every day, maybe that's exactly what you need. <laughs> you needed you needed Tom Brady today. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, any other thing? I know there was a couple that um, I'm going to forget what it's called. The Shop Like a Millionaire ad. Um, I was just like, wow! I never want to see that app again. There were some ads that made me not want the product. Right. And that was one of them because they just kept doing shop like a billionaire. There's price tags on everything. It was all about consumer culture and spending. And, and we had a cute song and it was visually appealing. But personally, that ad was not for me. That ad well, was targeted for somebody else. <laughs> right. And, you know, sometimes it's a big risk. I mean, think about how much money these companies are paying. Yeah. And if it if it works, it works. And it's w worth every single penny. But if you flop during the Super Bowl with an ad, that's the kind of thing that can be really detrimental to a brand. Yeah. So you have to be very careful and you have to be strategic and weigh the pros and cons, a company 
organization would need to weigh the pros and cons in making the decision of whether or not to advertise during the Super Bowl. They started things out very early in the broadcast with a tax, a TurboTax ad and then a menopause hot flashes ad. And I just thought those should have place, been placed like later on. Like somebody, mm-hmm. third quarter, somebody's unhappy. Now I want to hear about taxes. <laughs> like I don't want to hear them at kickoff. Well, you didn't want to hear about menopause right before the Super Bowl? No, I didn't. Just give me the national anthem and let's go instead. So does the ti- do you get to pick your timing? I mean, you get to place ads at different times in the broadcast, I'm assuming. Yeah, and it depends on how much you want to pay. So they would yeah. have had to have paid more to have it within the broadcast. Okay. Um, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a bad idea to have those before the before the singing of the national anthem because people right. are tuning in. But that's also a time when people are grabbing their snacks or grabbing a beer, and you know you may not have the audience that you want. Right. So, but it's all in what you pay for. All right. Anything else? Any other thought highlights or lowlights that you wanted to bring out before we let you go? Oh, I don't know. I, I enjoyed this year's ads. I thought yeah. they were all very positive, and it, I enjoyed watching them. And it was actually definitely, I thought the, the game itself was a little bit boring, you know? Mm. So I was, I was glad that the ads were good because that was kind of the highlight of that first half. Yeah. <laughs> there were some long, slow stretches. Not the yes. ending, uh, not the ending, but somewhere around No, the ending time, was wonderful. <laughs> long, slow stretches, and the ads will get you through. Lori Costello with the University of South Dakota. She teaches marketing, communications, and advertising there. Thank you so much for joining us. Here's a little bit more of that song. Thanks, Lori. Thank you. This is the story of the state. So much to explore, so much space. You bring home memories and photographs. You'll meet a bunch of bison and you will smile. Well, just as South Dakota isn't a one-hit wonder tourism-wise, we're also not a one-hit wonder in terms of agriculture. And beef is an important part of our ag industry. But South Dakota's beef cattle producers are facing volatility and challenges. So one new way that producers are getting better equipped to face those challenges of the future is through SDSU Extension's Beef SD Classes. We're going to welcome two specialists from that class now. Ken Olson is a professor and SDSU Extension Beef Specialist. Krista Ehlert is an assistant professor and SDSU Extension Range Specialist. And they are both gathered around the table at our Black Hill Surgical Hospital's studio in Rapid City. Ken, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you for the opportunity. Krista, welcome back. Thanks for being here again. Hi, Laurie. Glad to be on again. All right. So let's talk a little bit about the the program and then some of the obstacles and challenges and volatilities that people are are facing. So, Ken, why don't you talk a little bit about the program and then Krista will cue you up with with some of the challenges and opportunities. Ken? Sure. Well, because of the challenges and opportunities, we saw a need to help beginning producers, the the young folks that are going to be the next generation of beef producers to um, be better at managing a, a beef cattle enterprise and and be successful as the next generation and ensure that our beef cattle industry continues to thrive and our consumers keep getting a, a high-quality beef product. Yeah. Ken, how does the program itself work? Well, the program is intended to be a fairly intensive uh, dive into how to be a better manager and how to how to deal with change and 
And so we re- it revolves around what we call adaptive management, which is expecting change in the industry, whether it's because of a disease issue or a marketing issue or a, uh, a consumer demand issue, we can adapt and keep creating a product that, that, that draws a, a good price and, and allows for profitability. Krista, tell me a little bit about some of the volatility or challenges or obstacles that uh, young beef producers especially are facing today. Lori, I think one of the first things is that across the country, so this is a nationwide statistic, is that the average age of all of our agricultural producers is about 58 years old. And so we're really seeing not necessarily a stress per se on that older generation, but you know, in terms of having their kids come back to the ranch and whether that's even feasible in terms of how much that operation can or cannot make in any year, that's one of kind of the main struggles that we're seeing. But also, you know, you and I go to work every day and, you know, we can kind of count on things being status quo. There might be something that randomly comes up. But, you know, for a beef cattle producer, (laughs) especially our younger ones, they, you know, something might happen with the market. Um, the stock exchange, how things are looking, you know, we might get six inches of, of snow. We might get six feet of snow in some instances, right? Like if you think of the, the Atlas blizzard from a while ago. And so there's constant volatility, not only in terms of the risk that these producers are facing, but, um, and that's, what's really kind of critical that we've seen with the BFSD program is I think one easy way to describe it, Lori, is that there's the parable of these blind men that come come upon an elephant and, you know, one of them touches the trunk and he's like, oh, this is a snake. And, you know, another blind man grabs, grabs the elephant's leg and is like, no, you know, it's a tree trunk. And what we're really doing with these young producers through the BFSD program that we run through Extension is we get them to see the whole elephant, so the whole beef cattle industry. So, you know, we might have a lot of cow-calf producers in South Dakota and yeah, they're producing these calves and they've got mama cows, but but how does that fit into the bigger picture with the packing plants and getting beef into these high-end restaurants or even to McDonald's, right? And so it's really helping them look at the industry holistically and also more so than that, being able to adapt and adapt quickly so that they can sustain this volatility and changes that's inherent to the beef cattle industry. Yeah. Um, uh, Ken, the New York Times uh, posted an extensive article in Sunday's issue. It's been online for a couple of days and they were looking at this and, I, I, you know, m- maybe you haven't seen the piece, but I think you know the topic well. Um, they were looking at what's uh, called cultivated meat and this promise that the future was going to be lab grown meat from live animal cells and billions of dollars have been poured into this investment from about 2016 to 2022, and it's essentially gone nowhere. It's been, you know, the science isn't ready. It can't be done at scale, but yet people have poured billions of dollars into it. It looks like possibly a dead end or, you know, certainly something that's not taken off. There might not be a market for it, but it was this big promise with something at its heart that said um, we need to rethink our relationship with the land and with cattle and with the climate. And I'm just wondering, as, as all this kind of fades away, the whole idea of lab-cultivated meat, if it is in fact fading, that still leaves the question for people who aren't from South Dakota and who don't know what it's like 
to actually be a beef producer or be in this business, that uh, they're craving something on their plate that they know has a deep land connection that's sustainable. So having said all that, and I know that was a lot, um, how do you prepare the beef business leaders of today for what somebody in an urban restaurant in New York City or Denver might want to know about how that meat got to their plate? Oh, that's a great question. And this is something that was in the very first discussion we ever had over 10 years ago to start BFSD was how do we help make that connection? Because we got these producers that really understand what it's like out here in rural South Dakota. <clears throat> and, and they really understand what's going on in their part of the world. And they're really good beef producers. And they are really connected locally. And they produce these fantastic calves. And then these calves leave their place after they sometime in the fall or winter following when they wean them. And they're really disconnected from the rest of what's going on. And we, we saw the opportunity to help create those connections so that that animal that's born and raised under superb conditions in South Dakota, there's a connection to everything else that happens all the way to that beef ending up on a consumer's plate. So one of the pieces of the Beef SD program is what we call travel study trips, where we take the group out of state. And part of it is to understand the next parts after the calf gets weaned in terms of the feedlot sector and the packing sector. And then the next piece we do, and we do these as week-long travel study trips each of the two summers that a cohort of participants are in the program. So I just described the first su summer trip. The second summer trip is much more beyond the packing plant what happens to get it on a consumer's plate. We see uh, wholesale outlets, we see a variety of alternative retail outlets that aren't in South Dakota, but they might be in one of the large cities on the coast. Um, so we take them, we, we took them to Chicago for the first couple classes. We now take them to the East Coast. We spend time in New York City, Philadelphia, and Washington, D.C., and they see, they see these segments that get the meat from a box of, say, rib rolls, which are going to become rib, rib eye steaks or whatever, onto, out into grocery stores and different kinds of markets. And beyond that, we take them to uh, uh, steakhouse restaurants in the city. We have the chef come talk to them. We have the, the, the restaurant manager talk to them and describe what they're looking for in the meat products that they serve and what it is that, that creates demand to cause a person to spend what they spend on a USDA prime quality steak uh, in a white tablecloth restaurant and really make that connection to what happened on the ranch in South Dakota to what becomes... Uh, a, a high-quality, high-value product to a consumer in an urban environment. Yeah. Uh, Krista, we're kind of running up on time here, but there's an, anything that you wanted to add before we said thanks and goodbye? Now's the time. What do you want to leave us with? Um, I would just add, Lori, that if there are any beef cattle producers that are listening, we are ending our Class 6 of Beef SD, and we're going to be releasing applications for our Class 7 
of BFSD in about April or May. And as Ken kind of alluded to, it's a two-year intensive program. We typically take about 20 to 30 people, but what's really been impactful from BFSD is not only the interactions that our participants have, you know, with each other, growing a network and with us, you know, and, and connecting with technical experts, but also they connect with consumers. We had our last group, we went to Denver, we were downtown Denver, and some of our, our participants were, you know, having some free time and mm-hmm. they were in the bars and, you know, of course everyone was like, oh my gosh, cowboys. And, and our participants <laughs> were like, no, we, we are cowboys. You know, we ranch, we raise cattle, we're from South Dakota. And they had this tremendous interaction with these, you know, other people in the bar. And, you know, they were like, thank you for, thank you for growing our food. Thank you for, you know, creating these great beef products that we enjoy. And they were able to actually, you know, explain to these you know, everyday people at the bar, how, how fulfilling it is for them as beef cattle producers, but also how much hard work actually goes into getting a calf on the ground, getting a living one that stays, you know, alive through kind of everything that it faces and growing up to, you know, then head towards a packing plant and ultimately ending, ending up on our plates and restaurants or in our homes and our grocery stores, you know, as that end product of beef. So, um, You know, 96% of our alumni are more adaptable to change because of what they've learned in BFSD and over 85% have improved their financial situation. So, um, and of course, 100% would recommend the BFSD program to others. So uh, Ken and I and others that work with us, you know, we really feel like we've got a good thing going and Mm -hmm. our producers are there and they're hitting the ground and making making change. And I think that that's what we want to see is that that greater connection, Um, like I mentioned, you know, just just networking and, and having more community involvement and also having stronger connections to consumers. Oh. All right. We're going to leave it there. We will put some links up to BeefSD on our website, but you, of course, can Google it right now and find it through SDSU's Extension Program. Ken Olson, Professor and SDSU Extension Beef Specialist, and Krista Ehlert, Assistant Professor and SDSU Extension Range Specialist. We thank you both for stopping by. Thank you, Lori. You're listening to In the Moment on South Dakota Public Broadcasting. I'm Lori Walsh. Let's dive into the fatal flaw behind literature's most famous miser, Ebenezer Scrooge from Charles Dickens's A Christmas Carol. The Scrooge syndrome he suffered from is all too real for people, and it can get in the way of true financial well-being. Well, to dive into this and how to fight it, we're going to hear from our financial advisor of In the Moment's past, present, and future, Rick Kaler of the Kaler Financial Group. Rick, welcome back. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Lori. That was quite an introduction. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to producer Ellen Kester for writing a great introduction today. All right. So an important element, Rick, to Scrooge's character is that he also doesn't take care of himself. And I haven't really thought about this before. And I suspect you realize that a lot of people see him one way and miss kind of how he's not. He's also living this really joyless life of of, um, not whatever the opposite of self-care is. Tell me a little bit about why this um, sort of speaks to you as this part of Scrooge's story. Yeah, you know, Scourge is always thought of as this steely, cold, bitter, 
um, greedy character who only thought about himself. And that really got me thinking uh, recently about, did he really care for himself? And I did some searching and found out some stuff that wasn't even included in the the book I co-authored on this, is uh, that psychological uh, experts in various places have referred to him as having a lot of uh, various disorders, mm. uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, uh, narcissism, something I had never heard of, post-traumatic embitterment disorder. I love that. And I love those four <laughs> words together. Like you don't even have to tell me what that is for me to know. Lots of people who would say post-traumatic embitterment disorder is something that they exactly. Like to. I looked it up. It's it's oh. loss and loneliness oh. from past trauma. Yeah. Well, that's a lot easier to understand. Yes. <laughs> right. And in, yes. And yeah, putting all these together to basically say he only cared for himself. And I just don't think that that stands up. Um, I I think it's the flip, is that he he cared for others in the same way he cared for himself, Mm. which is he didn't care for himself very well at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he cared for others the same way he cared for himself, which is to say, not at all. He didn't. (laughs) Yeah. Do you, do you see no. this with uh, financial clients where they have achieved something that would be what most of us would say is like, wow, that is a, that is a success story, and yet they're not caring for themselves or others at all based on their money beliefs? Do you see that? Well, this is exactly at the heart of it. I uh, used to have a, a money script that if a person had money, that they had, that that they took care of themselves. They had the means, therefore, they spent it in uh, appropriate ways. They had really good uh, attorneys. They had really good financial advisors. They had really good uh, physicians and and physical support, etc. And oftentimes, that's not the case at all. And it it kind of lands with uh, part of me as being unbelievable that how can you have all the funds to support a wonderful life uh, and and to support whatever desires and quests for meanings that a person may have and then not use those funds for that purpose. And that's why I drew the parallel to Scrooge mm-hmm. um, because – he, he, the book says he lived in a warehouse. Uh, it was dark. It was cold. It was uh, gloomy. He he wouldn't heat the place. Um, he had a, a quote that darkness is cheap, <laughs> and Scrooge liked it. <laughs> I mean, all the trappings yeah. of certainly uh, a poverty. Um, he collect he neglected his nutrition. It's uh, the Book says he ate the poorest of the poor meals called gruel, um, and that there was something that I picked up in this that I really hadn't stood out uh, to me from the book, is that Scrooge was his own lawyer, his own doctor, his own surveyor, his own everything, mm-hmm. and he never troubled anybody with his affairs. 
so that that was just amazing. And and you say in this column that you know, like all money scripts, there are partial things that are true to it. When you when you think you know, if your money script, if the story that you're telling yourself about money is that if I have money, I have a greater well being, well, that is partially true, but not if you don't spend it or you don't take the actions to spend that. I'm guessing that a lot of people who have gained a a, a pile of money, a, some kind of financial success, are afraid are afraid that if they spend it, that they won't have it when they need it, or they're ashamed of having it, or there's some kind of, they're telling themselves something about their own value. How do you get past that? What are some of the ways that you would consider people to, to move to this idea of like, it's only, it's only well-being if you use it? Exactly. And that's a really hard one. And we've talked about this before. It's a type of money scripts that fall into the money vigilant category. Yeah. And that's where uh, frugality is really uh, honored. And frugality is the cause of um, gaining the wealth. But it stops there. Frugality can become really harmful when it's not spent for well-being. And when I'm talking about wealth, I'm not talking about millions or hundreds of millions or billions of dollars. I'm talking about what is wealth to us. Sure. And to to there is no flip that is or switch that is flipped to go from being frugal, being in a way Scrooge like to taking care of yourself. And I think the answer uh, is really in A Christmas Carol. It's the transformation of Scrooge that we rarely, when somebody calls you a Scrooge, it's usually not a compliment. And yet, if you're looking at the end of the book, (laughs) it'd be a huge compliment. Because all of the work he did on himself to get through this, to begin to take care of himself and... As we see, he took care of, of others when he was taking care of himself. Yeah. You know, it was three steps. He went into his past. He looked at his past. He worked through the unfinished traumas of his past, which was able to bring him into present so he could see, hear. He could actually get more information and then look at the future that he uh, was on track to create and yeah. do it differently. Yeah, this is what happens if you make these choices long term. Fascinating stuff. Uh, I just it never ceases to amaze me how much this story has in a in has in store for us if we spend the time to really think about how it impacts our life. So Rick Kaler will put a link up to his column on our website as well. But uh, he's here with us on in the moment. Often there's a whole treasure trove of financial therapy advice on our website if you search for his name. So, Rick, thank you so much. We'll talk to you next time. It's great being with you, Laurie. Take care. You're listening to In the Moment on South Dakota Public Broadcasting. I'm Laurie Walsh. Well, where can you catch a glimpse of the rare beaded, bearded, (laughs) beaded (laughs) ranger right here in South Dakota in Badlands National Park to be specific? Ed Welsh, also known as the bearded ranger, 
has taken Badlands National Park Facebook page by storm and gained some national attention. There's a mix of humorous and educational social media posts, and we liked him so much, we said, let's get him on the show. So he is now seated in our SDPB Rapid City studios for a quick chat. Ed Welsh is a paleontologist and ranger with the National Park Service. Ed, welcome to The Moment. Thanks for being here. Uh, thanks, Lori. It's it's thanks for inviting me on here. It's kind of been a wild ride so far. <laughs> well, we're hoping it's the first of many conversations. Um, the winter in Badlands National Park has given a lot of inspiration for you and your team to to communicate with people in ways that have been delightful and funny and also educational. Tell me a little bit about your role at the park, and then we'll talk a little bit about the social media as well. But what is it that you do every day? Oh, man. Um, I'm kind of a jack-of-all-trades a little bit. Uh, I'm the education specialist at Badlands right now, uh, and my background is also in geology and paleontology. So when our paleo program is going, I help out with a lot of identifications and information with our our paleo staff. Um, I do a lot of school programs, uh, school classroom visits, uh, I meet with schools all over the country online, sometimes out of the country, yeah. um, and then all sorts of other random tasks. <laughs> Including uh, posing for photos on Groundhog Day where you're popping out of your burrow and looking yeah, for your show. Yeah. <laughs> tell, yep. tell me a little bit about how you guys sort of brainstorm some of the fun ways to help you know raise awareness but also provide that knowledge for the world about what's happening in the parks. Well, I mean, we've done some some light planning on this. We didn't expect <laughs> things to get as popular as they did. I just thought it would, it would be funny because uh, we had this cold, miserable weather all of a sudden pop up. And I go to my coworker at the front desk. It's like, we should make a post where I look miserable <laughs> outside. And I just look like I'm having the worst day of my life. And we just say, if you're cold, they're cold. Bring them inside, something like that. And then... My uh, kind of partner in this, uh, Madison Shiro, uh, wordsmithed the whole thing and created the post, and uh, it kind of blew up on us. We didn't expect it to get as popular as it did. <laughs> well, shout out to Madison. I, too, have people who are wordsmithing things, and every once in a while it takes off a little more than you expected if, you're <laughs> if you get the right combination. <laughs> it's kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's been incredibly mm-hmm. popular. We've watched, um, our, I think, our most popular posts have been in, like, just the single-digit thousands, and then we had uh, a nice... Um, photo from one of our volunteers on some aurora borealis you know that got you know fourteen thousand responses and these posts are blowing those out of the water i think (laughs) our groundhog day one is now close to two hundred (laughs) thousand and what okay so the pressure is on to keep doing it Uh, job security is is in place for ed um, as this becomes a thing, but there's there's a bigger thing at stake here, which is like people care and are passionate about the work that you do, and it's a huge opportunity when that many people are listening, um, listening to you. What's how, what, what do you want to say next in you know from the serious angle of these things? Well, it, it's kind of what we've been dealing with with our social media. We want people to come out, enjoy, have fun, but also be safe and responsible while they do it. Yeah. All right. Well, if he's cold, bring them inside. Give him a little dino mug. Are you selling a lot of the T-Rex mugs? I'm guessing. 
Uh, no, we no. don't. We don't sell those. Oh, we, sell those. We, we don't. Oh. Unfortunately, we don't find any dinosaurs in our part of the state. Um, okay, fair. Yes, that but no one be, makes yeah. uh, cool fossil mammal mugs yet. So. <laughs> okay. Well, that's the next thing we know that you're in charge of. All right, Ed. Where can people find more about? Uh, follow you on Facebook, Instagram. What do you uh, they follow us yeah. on Facebook. Um, yeah, we're we're trying to recover our Instagram. We've had some issues with that in the past. Uh, we try to keep our upsite up to date, uh, especially with any type of um, visitation, emergencies, closures, anything right. like that. Right. Um, or call us. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to put some links up on our website, and we'll put some photos of Ed in case you have missed these social media posts. But otherwise, you can follow Badlands National Park on Facebook to see the bearded ranger and all his adventures. Ed Welch, thanks for stopping by. It's so delightful to hear your voice. Thanks for having me. I hope hope to chat with you again sometime. We will reach out again for sure. For now, that is our show for today, and we hope that it served you. On the next In the Moment, we're going to get ready for a day of love by expressing our adoration for South Dakota. You can tune in for poetry from our state poet laureate and one of our well-known SDPB staffers. Plus, In the Moment team goes on a series of blind dates with the books that were chosen for us by our local librarians. From all of us at SDPB, thanks for listening. So much good stuff all in one place I'm going now cause I just cannot wait This is the story of the state So much to explore, so much space You bring home memories and photographs You'll meet a bunch of bison And you will smile